Hi, this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of CSA and the host of the CSA podcast show and the host of the CSA online learning series, Wednesdays at one o'clock Eastern. And today we're going to do something different with our podcast. I've got a guest from our January 25th uh, CSA online show, uh, Raphael Arakelian, manager of OT and IoT cybersecurity at PwC Canada. Uh, he and I did an event, as I said, on, on December or January 25th. And we got so many questions for him that we didn't get a chance to, to really get them all answered in the time that we had allotted for that event. So we put our heads together and said, hey, why don't we do a bonus session, get into some more of those questions. And so uh, the event was called OT Monitoring Tools, a case study on how to choose one. Welcome back and welcome to the podcast, Raph. Thanks a lot, Derek, for having me again. I'm looking forward to today's discussion. All right. So, you know, that was a, a very popular event. You got great feedback. There were lots of questions that you did get to. And so uh, I know you've gone through and looked through the questions that were submitted and we've, we've selected some for you and I discussed. Let's frame this up, though. There's going to be people who are listening to our podcast who didn't, you know, weren't able to come to the event or didn't know about it. You know, this problem is ubiquitous. I mean, as long as I've been in cybersecurity starting in 1998, it's always been tough for purchasers and for end users. Like, how do I compare these tools? Um, not to throw any vendor out of the bus. And I have been previously an entrepreneur vendor. Even if you're not trying to mislead people, you say what you believe it does. You know, it does deep packet inspection. Well, maybe it does it like this and maybe it does it like that. It's hard for the end user to decide and understand if I look at product A, B, and C, how do I really differentiate them? And I've heard that pain you know, over and over for 20 years. And I love you know, when you and I met at the Security Week conference in Atlanta last fall, you'd just come off the stage uh, presenting your methodology for comparing some monitoring, you know, monitoring tools. So um, why don't you reframe, you know, for people who didn't come? And by the way, if you want to see his his learning session, which was really awesome, and he showed the methodology, the spreadsheet that, you know, sort of how the data was derived, it is in our member library. That is for our paid global members. Our learning events are free on Wednesdays, but the the online, uh, the on-demand library going back to 2018 is a, is a member benefit, but membership is very inexpensive. And there's just a treasure trove of videos like the one with Raph in there. So Raph, why don't you reframe sort of, uh, you know, where this all started and then we can get into some of the questions that we, we have. Yeah, for sure. So this is definitely a, a topic that I'm passionate about. And like you mentioned, it's really quite a challenge uh, for organizations to determine which tools to go with. I think Almost every vendor is doing a, a great job in terms of marketing and being out there. So that's one of the biggest challenges for organizations to have a systematic way to look at the different vendors in the OT security space. So that's really how this, I guess, approach uh, came to be. One of our clients actually uh, had a challenge where they had gone with an OT monitoring vendor, they had already deployed it, and they were unsatisfied with the results. So actually, they came back to us and say, you know, how can, you know, this time, can we select a vendor that really works for us? And I think that opportunity is what I leverage to uh, devise this approach. So it's really a systematic approach where uh, we allow uh, multiple vendors to uh, be simultaneously tested in an organization's environment, and we use a specific framework or methodology where we're evaluating various technical areas. And as I mentioned during our, our last session, uh, there's multiple technical areas. So there's IT asset detection, OT asset detection, IT and OT asset identification, IT and OT vulnerability detection, 
threat detection, user interface, and integration. So in total, there are nine technical areas, which we define in advance of the proof of concept. We lay out what exactly we're looking for. We also lay out the success range or the success criteria for each of the technical areas. And then we conduct that proof of concept for a specific time using you know, similar testing conditions. And then we evaluate uh, the candidate tools using this device methodology. So it really becomes the ability to compare tools apples to apples uh, that are very specific to the organization as well as their cybersecurity needs. And you know, that's one of the things I loved about this is it's not, it's an oversimplistic to say, here is the best tool, which wasn't your, you know, the nuance, it wasn't your goal. It was like, what is the right tool for this environment? And I think that's something that's highly missed. I mean, obviously, each, you know, vendor is like, it's the best tool. Well, not necessarily. And exactly. you get into that. Like the nuances of, well, this one works really, really well, but maybe not, maybe not in this particular circumstance or situation. And I think that can be that thought process can be applied to a lot of tool tool procurement. Exactly. And to be honest, the the vendors that were involved or discussed uh, during the the case study, I've seen them before competing in different environments and other environments. And when I've done the comparison, you don't necessarily get the exact same scores or the exact same rankings. Vendors that I've seen place third in a certain environment, uh, in a, a different type of technology, different types of protocols, different uh, devices, will then top as first in another environment with other integrations, with other uh, devices and uh, protocols. And that's what we want. Even though market-based research, industry-based research can give you a high-level view of who are the big players in the OT security space for OT monitoring tools, that's very, very generalized. It's a good first step, but then when it comes to a tool selection with the best understanding of risk reduction, you really need something that is specific to your environment, and that's the, the idea behind this approach. Yeah, it's awesome. And before anybody asks, because I think be, you know, we'll get emails or messages, uh, RAF doesn't reveal the products, because that's not really the point of this. And what I loved initially when we first started talking in, in the subsequent event was it, it it really is his passion project. It's not about promoting secretly, promoting somebody's product. You know, we're always, I know there's suspicions out there about people's motivations. This is independent uh, and, you know, and a clean approach to say, okay, how do we compare these things, you know, with no vested interest in one particular, uh, you know, particular product or team or, or, or company or brand. And so we don't, he doesn't get into that. Uh, we, we did get asked a lot during the live event. But the same thing will go here. It's really about the methodology and not about this company came on number one, right? Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, considering there are many tools in the market, how many organizations can decide on which tools to test? How were the candidates selected, for instance, in your case study? Yeah. So I think, as I mentioned earlier, industry-based market research is a good first step so reports like forrester will give you an understanding of who are the big players obviously again as a first uh, first step uh looking at what vendors are out there in terms of marketing uh is also something that we see organizations rely on obviously it's it would be important for organizations to do additional research uh, in terms of the vendors to understand what kind of relationships those vendors have uh, whether it's with other security products OEMs um, or even you know service providers might sometimes recommend uh, specific vendors so it's important at this point 
to be aware of the different biases. Uh, and at that point, you can generate a first list of, of vendors of who to approach. And that is basically what our organization that you know we worked with it, it did. They're an electrical utilities uh, company. And based on the research they did beforehand, they uh, they had five vendors in mind that they wanted to approach. So to get to the three candidate vendors with whom we did the proof of concept, uh, we decided that with this client that we generate a list of business and technical requirements based on what the organization was looking for. So, uh, you know, some simple business requirements can be you know, the tool must have a, a centralized management capability or it must be ICS vendor uh, agnostic, right? So you generate those lists of business requirements. You generate lists of technical requirements. Uh, an example on that would be uh, must leverage passive monitoring or must be, you know, using an agent-based approach. So those kind of uh, nuances need to be decided beforehand. And then those requirements were distributed to the uh, to the five initial vendors. And then based on the scoring that we did, we cut those uh, vendors into the three main competing vendors, which we talked about during the case study. And we'll continue to revisit that that topic here today. Could you have done, I mean, could all five have been part of it? I mean, did you, is there any sort of like sense of like, it really needs to be, you know, to do it right, you got to get to a certain number or like, well, no, it's just more time intensive, but you could have done five. Theoretically, you I mean, you could do five if that's what you're looking for, uh, if a client is looking for. But at the end of the day, if you're doing that scoring and you can see a, a difference in terms of the requirements, specifically in the technical, sometimes it might be extra unnecessary work if you already have top three uh, vendors. I would say at a minimum, it is recommended to have three two or three vendors competing at the same time rather than just having uh one vendor in the environment going through yeah. that proof of concept process yeah and it makes sense if there's a binary thing like this product requires something put on all the endpoints and that is a closed door uh at a particular customer why do the comparison work that's you know that's the end of that as far as that it's after policy right yeah exactly because you have to go through the whole logistics of getting an appliance and 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 so on so yeah. that's why the first step of paper-based exercise is very valuable okay okay uh so let's see here let's see another one um can you talk about the source of truth data that seems critical for the assessment and what if an organization does not have the asset inventory beforehand which we know we know there are organizations that do not have correct or complete asset inventories so maybe Derek here will will have a good opportunity to do a recap in terms of the methodology. Yeah. So the site that was selected for this organization to conduct the proof of concept was an electrical distribution substation. We had the asset inventory beforehand. We had an understanding of the architecture, which we had to leverage to set up the proof of concept itself. And then uh, since the methodology is a systematic way, uh, it, for asset detection, for example, we said, what is the source of truth inventory? What do we know uh, are out there in terms of assets? And then we went into each tool and then we scored the assets that were picked up and we compared that with the source of truth. And that allowed us to have a definitive percentage in terms of how many assets of the known source of inventory were, were detected. 
And then with the same sort of mindset, we progressed through the rest of the technical areas. So for asset identification, for example, we knew what were the list of attributes for each detected asset, and we did the scoring and we came up with percentages as well. So if an organization does not have a source of truth uh, inventory, I guess first off, I'll start by saying if you have the choice to select a site where you do have the source of truth inventory, I would say that would be a priority. Uh, but if it turns out the, the organization does not have, there's really two strategies that you can use. The first strategy might take a little bit more time, but I would highly recommend that one first. Uh, is that before conducting the proof of concept, you actually conduct a, a systematic walkthrough of the environment and capture uh, what all the devices that are actively connected on the network are. So essentially, you're doing this manual effort to identify what the asset in inventory is. So that will require some coordination with the site technicians and the asset owners but it will be very beneficial in terms of the tool selection process. If for some reason the project is time sensitive or resources are unavailable to conduct this walkthrough, then you can go with the second approach. Uh, but the second approach is a little bit uh, voodoo math. It's not completely scientific. What you do is that you run through the proof of concept and then you evaluate the different vendors. But when it comes to something as simple as detection, what you do is you compile the results from each tool, from each vendor, and then you treat that as the source of truth. So what do I mean by that? If we didn't have a source of truth and we did the same proof of concept, which I talked about in the case study, if tool A detected three assets, tool B detected five assets, and then tool C also detected three assets, but at the end of the proof of concept, if I look at all the results and it turns out that there were eight unique IP addresses and you know the different tools picked up these different proportions out of them, then I would consider those eight unique IP addresses as the source of truth. Of course, the reason I'm referring to this as a bit of voodoo math is because at the end of the day, those eight known IP assets are not necessarily your entire source of truth. It could be that there's 20, there's 20, there's 10 in the environment. So using that limited information, you're, you will go ahead and evaluate or assess the tools. In this strategy, if an organization does decide to go on this strategy, it's highly recommended that the success ranges or the success criteria be much more uh, stringent. Uh, and that's because uh, you know, you're doing a big assumption. You're saying that this is the source of truth when, in fact, you don't know. So if, for example, your cutoff for fully meet expectations is typically 65% or 70% for asset detection, you would go for 80% or 85%. So in this example that I just gave, none of the tools would be fully meeting expectations. And that's something that you want when you don't know what data set you're working with. Okay. Yep. The important uh, distinction. This always comes up in so many different contexts. It came up this last week. Um, it's, it's, it's a problem uh, that causes some pain for some people, the term IT and OT and the differences. And, uh, you know, I think specific to the context of what you were talking about uh, at the event, how do you qualify IT versus OT? For example, an HMI or operator workstation running Windows at the surface can potentially control or monitor processes. Yeah, that's a, valid, a very valid question. 
and uh, again here i'll take the opportunity to revisit a little bit our approach yeah. so we differentiated between it and ot not in the sense of who owns or who manages those assets but what are you know what is the type or the class of the asset so if you have a plc that would be sitting in the ot class or the ot type technical areas and if you have a workstation even if it is uh you know being used for general administrative functions or it's being used to monitor processes we would still classify that as an it asset and here's the reason why each vendor or each tool is looking at the traffic that is happening in the network and it is uh, dissecting that traffic parsing it and then it's deducing attributes uh, about those assets and really there is a distinction in the type of communication that's happening between the it type devices even if they're being used to control or monitor processes and the traditional ot devices your plcs are going to be most likely purely talking through the known ot protocols of the environment and the hmis even if they are communicating with the plcs they won't be uh, you know, communicating those OT protocols to the same extent. And we want to have something that evaluates how the tools are generating outputs because we cannot really, I, you know, we can't really investigate how they're dissecting the protocols or extracting attributes. Uh, we can only do that by looking at the final results. So even if an HMI uh, is being, you know, even if there's an, an HMI or a workstation that's being used in an engineering workstation, the tool will still be able to classify if this is an IT type device. It will also be able to flag the OS, the OS build version potentially, the, the Purdue model assignment. So because we wanted to see that clear dis dis distinction, we said that anything that falls under the IT type family, regardless of the applications, we should be looking at it uh, under that scope and then everything that's ot would be looked at under the ot scope okay that's good just you know we may have some listeners we, we you know we do that don't come from you know directly from this this sort of space that we're in and you talked about these protocols maybe just a quick explanation obviously some of our listeners know this well but it's a quick explanation of what you're talking about industrial protocols just at a high level yeah so uh, at a high level uh, for industrial protocols, these are either uh, protocols that were developed by specific uh, OEMs, so let's say Siemens-related uh, protocols, uh, Rockwell-related uh, protocols, and so on. Uh, and those are used essentially to communicate between industrial controllers or between industrial controllers and field devices. Uh, and unlike the traditional IT protocols or TCP/IP, uh, the the structure of the protocols is is different. The information that are in the packets are also quite uh, different. So it requires a different lens when it comes to the the dissectors of or the basically the the logic that is interpreting what are in those packets or in those protocols. In this case study that we examined a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we were looking at DMP3, 
uh, we were looking at Goose. So in an, an enterprise environment or an IT environment, those are not really protocols that you would see. Uh, and in this case, these protocols were used for specific communications between uh, controllers and relays, uh, between relays and circuit breakers. So uh, they're usually you know, specific functions uh, or specific types of communications that, that have been set up because of the vendor. In this case, uh, it was SEL or because it's what is generally used in the industry or what is made available for, for a specific industry. And my understanding is there's hundreds, especially if you could talk about derivative ones that are slightly modified. There are some big ones, Modbus and DMP3 that are probably a small group. That's a lot of them. But there are many, many others that are in utilization in different places. Yes, certainly. Um, okay. Are there other functions that don't fit directly into sort of the core criteria, but they could still be useful or they could be included in making informed decisions about the product? Yeah, certainly. I think these technical areas that we uh, we mentioned, the nine of them, they really, I think six of them or seven of them uh, come out from uh, cybersecurity controls that are related to asset management, vulnerability management, and threat detection. Uh, I would say if an organization is looking uh, to select a vendor and wants to look at other technical areas, uh, it's important to ask questions about what cybersecurity controls they would like the, the vendors to support. So, for example, incident response is something that these vendors or these tools can be leveraged for. Uh, so if there are questions that come to mind for the organization regarding that cybersecurity control, then they can use those questions to come up with a technical area uh, that can then evaluate the tools against that. So for example, related to incident response, they can look at the severity of incidents or uh, what is the level of information that is being presented by by the tools. So thinking across these lines is generally uh, what allows you to develop a technical area and then uh, assess that. Okay. Uh, during the proof of concept, was there a concern in connecting the tools and a laptop to an active utility system? Was port mirroring enough to ensure one-way communication? That thing has come up, you know, since I had this phase 10, 11 years ago, always the, the risk of introducing unintended consequences from, you know, trying to do good work or adding, you know, adding some sort of tool to the, to the environment. How did, yeah, how did you guys handle that? Yeah, so at any time when it comes to network-based OT monitoring tools, whether it's a proof of concept or an actual deployment, one of the first fundamental steps is to evaluate the switch, the core switch capabilities where the port mirroring is going to be uh, conducted, uh, whether you know there's enough bandwidth on the port that is going to be targeted. So as a recap, uh, OT network-based monitoring tools, you're taking uh, a mirror or a replicate of all the traffic and sending it on a specific destination port. And uh, once you set it up, it's also important to look at the CPU usage, the memory usage, just as a check before, uh, you know, going through the POC at a full speed. Uh, so I would say that was the first step that we did. Also, another architecture, I guess, uh, design that we had with the POC is that we were using an intermediate switch. So the only connection between the appliances, the OT monitoring uh, appliances that were being used for testing and the actual uh, utility environment was that intermediate switch. 
and therefore the only connection was in fact the span or the port mirroring session. So that okay. means the appliances themselves could not make it to the environment itself. So there would be no risk in terms of you know moving from one place uh, to the other. Certainly, I mean, the organization had these questions initially about how everything would fit together and how things would play out. But these two steps were the ones that we undertook to mitigate and you know any risks. Makes sense. But this is the logical, uh, this next question somebody asked you that we didn't get to makes sense. How do you address devices that are not on the, you know, not active on the network? Those devices won't be detected by the tool in passive mode. And what you just described, endpoint interrogation or anything sort of live, that's not part of that scenario by, by the design, by the nature of it. Yeah, so that is a, certainly one of the challenges for using passive, passive-based monitoring. In this case, the organization, you know, itself did not want to utilize active scanning. So that is certainly uh, a capability. Has have that as a turn on, turn off modular, you know, modular have the capability. Is that common now to all tools or some? Nope, we're past it 100%. We don't even have an act. Uh, I would say based on what I've seen, most of them do. There are a few that do not have that capability. But I think uh, part of the reason is that, I mean, this question itself is a reason why this use case exists for these vendors. I would say for for devices that are on the network but are not actively communicating, there's always the ability to simulate traffic from them. So if you do have an engineering workstation, if you have an application where you're able to uh, navigate to those devices and pull them for specific data using the native applications, that's a very good strategy if you don't want to use uh, the the vendors' active scanning or active detection capabilities. Another challenge is if the network, you know, has secondary or tertiary uh, switches that are not being port mirrored to the core network switch, and there's east-west traffic. Uh, sometimes it might be beneficial to collect traffic from those secondary and tertiary uh, switches just for the purpose of the proof of concept and then upload those or merge those uh, to the appliances to see uh, the extent of detection or identification that the tools are doing. But that's just a short-term solution. The long-term solution ideally would be to to get that traffic to where your appliances are. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on those devices that are not transmitting all the way north to your course. If I understood something you said there that's pretty interesting, if the native OEM technology has a polling or a way, a way to say, tell part of the network to tell it something, if you're doing this passive monitoring, you get to pick all that up. If you trigger it over in the native network that, you know, that's designed to do it and you're monitoring you know, off of the span port, you get to see all that. That's, that's the nature of that, right? Yes, that is correct. Yeah. That's pretty elegant way to get around that issue of like, we, we're not doing something that the system wasn't designed for. We're just listening. And now there's more to listen to. Yeah. And I think I'll mention this. And it's also, I guess, a secret project for you, Derek, uh, for you uh, to know. A very cool research was published a couple of years ago from the University of Augsburg in Germany, where they looked at these um, OT monitoring tools, specifically the active scanning 
capability. Yeah. And they evaluated that across multiple PLCs in terms of the scanning cycles. And they noticed that when active scanning was being used, it was negatively impacting the, the scanning cycles for the PLCs. But here's the thing that was missing in this project, and that's why I'm taking it on as a site project, is that they didn't really have a control. In this case, they didn't really look at an engineering workstation that will typically do the same type of scanning on these PLCs. So even if you're doing active scanning with vendors and it's negatively impacting PLCs, the right question to ask is, what if I was doing that natively using the engineering workstation? If I'm going to get the same results, then okay, then there's no necessarily additional risk. So only when you look at both sets of data, you can come to a proper conclusion. Yeah, I love I love that that came up because that's that's cool. Yeah, let's compare on, honestly or compare you know a complete comparison. So based on your study, how is asset characterization for OT monitoring tools? There seems that there could be a lot of manual edits need to fix mischaracterization. Yeah, certainly when we're looking at the asset identification uh, technical areas, which addresses the, the characterization of assets, we always ask the questions about the validity of attributes based on out-of-the-box results. So we don't want any customization, any configuration to be uh, conducted when we're looking at the attributes because of this exact reason that the characterization or the identification of assets is dependent on the quality of traffic, first of all, and it's also dependent on how the vendors are dissecting protocols and they're extracting information about the assets. Generally, there are attributes that are more favorable in terms of characterization or identification. So the name of the vendors, for example, is typically well addressed uh, by most OT monitoring tools when they're competing at the same time. The type of asset is less stable. If we go back to the case study, for example, from two weeks ago, we saw a, a big difference uh, between a specific uh, vendor uh, and how they were classifying the asset type when it came to IT assets, but we saw very little difference when it came to the OT assets. So that's one of the attributes uh, that really depends. Uh, the other one is uh, the OS uh, as well as the, the firmware version. Those attributes are also we see a, a big discrepancy in, in terms of the results or mischaracterizations. In terms of how to be addressed, I mean, the best that you can do sometimes is just the setup of the POC as well as making sure that you're simulating as much as traffic as you can. But then really after that, it's, it's, it's based on, it's really in the hands of the vendor and in the way that they, they're extracting information from the traffic that you're providing them. Yeah, it's just looking at some of these other questions. It has so many different threads. You know, I hope I think this will be useful for people. Just like just the approach of comparison, the a methodology for comparison. I'm a, just a big, big fan of that. But there are so many different sort of wormholes that one could go down on all this. There were some questions around. The, I think this is worth asking. For most tools, it seems that CVE detection and remediation guidance has a sort of a shotgun approach. With regard to the hardware on which the C, without regard to the hardware on which the CVE is found, any thoughts on this? Yeah, so that is unf unfortunately the, the case. It 
I would say it is a good description or a good uh, simile in terms of how we see the vulnerability detection. A lot of times it is really vendor-based vulnerability detection. So, I mean, if you have a Schneider electric device, then you might see three, four hundred vulnerabilities associated to your one asset just because it's a, you know, Schneider electric device. So I guess as an attendee or, you know, the individual is asking there, that's the shotgun approach. And I think that's a challenge with using network-based uh, monitoring, uh, I would say, because you are relying on two things. First, that the asset gets detected. And second, that the asset is identified correctly, but specifically there, the OS or the firmware version is being identified correctly. If these two things don't happen, then your vulnerability detection is either not going to happen at all, or if it happens, it's going to have the shotgun approach. How to tackle that? I guess if you are going with the network-based approach, which is, I think, based on what I've seen, the the most common these days. The active scanning or active utilization is a strategy that, again, feeds into the case study of why these vendors have them. And another case is, again, relying on native applications. If you have an engineering workstation, for example, in this case study, we didn't have that, I guess, uh, luxury. It's an electrical substation. But if you do have an engineering workstation that has those applications and it can pull devices for the OS type or the firmware type information, then it's certainly something you can leverage to try to enrich that second capability, which I talked about, the OS or the firmware. Um, and oh, sorry, I'll, Derek, yeah. I'll also mention, and that's one of the reasons why in this case study, as well as other case studies I've seen, uh, the, the results for vulnerability detection are poor. They're typically either partially meeting expectations or not meeting expectations. And that's why I tend to score them at a little lower weight because of these heavy dependencies. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's go back to um, protocols. We talked about industrial protocols earlier. You mentioned Goose and, and DMP3. Obviously, these systems have a ton of proprietary protocols. And, and like I said, I've, I've heard people say, yeah, we even modified. You know, this is a from a major OEM, but it's a slight derivation of the one that they produced originally or whatever. All the OT monitoring solution vendors, I'm assuming at this point, claim you know, coverage of an understanding, and this could be so varied in the realities of it, I suspect, but understanding those protocols. Do the evaluations handle that? And or do they really get into it and say, okay, th th this product understands, deeply understands these industrial protocols, and this one is, is you know, weaker in that area, or really it only understands three of them or four of them? So this is a question I really like because it is a question that at this time, I do not know how to efficiently tackle. And here's why, right? Vendors, like you mentioned, will mention uh, what are the various protocols that they support, right? But they're really, at the end of the day, there is no standard yeah. way or standard methodology of assessing that, right? I mean. What is it that tells you that 100% of the time, this specific tool is going to be seeing this protocol or be able to understand what's happening in this protocol? And even if it's, you know, if it's not 100%, then I mean, what is it? Is it like 80%, 70%?
And how do you quantify that? How do you quantify that capability? The best that we can typically do when it comes to this methodology is that we we capture traffic from a real-life environment on a certain protocol that we know that environment has, that the POC environment has, and then we evaluate each vendor against that captured traffic, which is basically what we did uh, in our case study. But that's such a small subset of the whole entire data, of the whole entire traffic that you might have in your environment, and it might not, you know, capture everything to the full extent. So that is something that, you know, I'm putting more thought leadership into to see how can you come up with a standard way to evaluate that. There are, at the end of the day, open source tools or approaches of coming up with, you know, dissectors that will, uh, you know, look at the protocols and give you the information about that. So I feel, you know, intuitively at this point that maybe that is something that can be leveraged, you know, using that standard, you know, open source dissectors, you know, and then comparing the tools against that in terms of performance. And that might be your best method of evaluation. So having that open source run in the environment at the same time, and then evaluating the vendors against that as a as a source of truth, if that makes sense. Yeah. And would, would this be fair to, to characterize that ignorance, you know, is not bliss. And so today, if they're doing if, if a good tool is catching a lot, it's more than you would know if you weren't monitoring and that their tools are evolving. And so that if anybody does get hung up on the idea that it might not be absolute or it might not cover everything, that doesn't discard the fact that if you're, you know, in lieu of doing what? Doing nothing? That's not acceptable. And we know from our annual right. study, all mature organizations are monitoring and less mature organizations are desiring to monitor. I suspect that's some budgetary stuff, but monitoring Knowing what's going on is where we're going. So now it's just a question about finding the best tool that exists now for your environment. That's the quest, not discard these three because they somehow don't make the cut. We'll just go ahead and go without. That's not what we're getting at here. No, no, certainly not. I mean, there's very, very, you know, big value in these OT, in the OT monitoring tools. And Based on what I've seen in every proof of concept, vendors are very, very willing to update their products. Uh, you know, if there is a protocol that uh, is not being picked up, if there are assets that are communicating using those protocols, they actively ask us to capture traffic and then they provide it to their research teams. So I think the vendors are doing a, a really great job to, you know, continue understanding these environments and to continue updating their products but i think at any given time hands down i would have you know the vendor that didn't even go through the you know head-to-head comparison that didn't meet uh, some of the technical requirements i'd prefer having that in the environment rather yeah. than kind of uh, just guessing if my environment is secure or not <laughs> yeah yeah i just i think that was important because some people get lost in the esoteric argument of if it's not, you know, it's a binary thing. If it's not all this, then it's not. Like, well, it's sort of a graduated scale and you need to get, you can gain a lot of value from the leading tools. And uh, you're taking it a step farther and say, why not really sort of hone in on the right tool for you? But again, it, they're all evolving. They're all getting better. And, uh, and it's a necessary thing. Awareness. Got to know. Got to know what's going on. And then you're going to build other parts of your strategy and, and, and things on that awareness, on that knowledge. 
And then it feeds and affects everything from incident response to your, you know, to socks and OT socks that are coming up, all that sort of things. This is where things come that human beings need to make intuitive or informed decisions. But it's from this sort of, it's from these sort of systems where they get that input. Yeah, for sure. No, I, think I know where you're going with uh, <laughs> that last question, right? Uh, regarding uh, sock capabilities. Yeah, yeah. That's where I was going to go. Sims and socks and the data and where it goes and how they, how it gets utilized. Uh, you know, there's some famous examples, even if we step out of our space, think of large retailers, you know, let's turn the tool down. It's telling us so much. Uh, and, you know, and then they had a big incident. It's like, okay, human beings in the end of the day have to sort of work with this stuff. Where should this data go? Should it be going into, you know, fully integrated and go into a SIM? Are people already doing that? Um, you know, that, that I think is a really good sort of thing for us to end on. Let's assume there's awareness and there's knowledge in the data and it's finding things and discovering things. So what if human beings can't take prioritized action about it? What, what happens next? Yeah, so that's a very important topic as well. I would say it's really a natural and recommended step to integrate these OT monitoring tools with uh, your with your SimSoft to be able to correlate the data that's coming purely from your OT environment uh, and to be able to correlate that with other sources is a, a huge win for security teams because they have that uh, you know added level of information of what's happening in their uh, environments. And typically, what what I say about OT monitoring tools and why they're helpful, especially when you do integrate them with your SOC, it becomes a platform for collaboration between your OT and your cyber, which is you know traditionally sitting with your IT capabilities. So I would say any organization that's looking to go through this OT monitoring journey should have that you know in their view as it's not a you know final destination, but one of the very important uh, maturity points. So yeah, I've certainly seen uh, organizations, uh, you know, when they're looking for service providers, ask for OTSOC uh, capabilities. They also, uh, you know, some organizations create an OT security co uh, committee where they have, uh, you know, OT site or you know OT technicians that are also interested in cybersecurity or they kind of uh, tend to do some network related uh, tasks and they sit in that committee and then they also support the cybersecurity or SOC functions of that organization. And based on what I've seen, that has been very successful rather than have, you know, IT or cyber do their own thing, OT do their own thing. Uh, I think security should really be a you know a shared responsibility and a you know a shared model for collaboration. That is, uh, I think, a, a wealth of of additional insight. Uh, I hope this was valuable to people who didn't come to the event. Again, if you didn't come to the event, we have a significant library of amazing presentations going back to 20, 2018 in our on-demand library for members. And so, if you go to cs2ai.org, you can. Uh, become a member uh, for a very nominal price and get access to all these, including uh, RAF's uh, January 25th presentation, OT Monitoring Tools, a case study on how to choose one, which was incredibly well received and very, very well attended. We had you know, record numbers for it. So RAF, thanks again for um, doing the event in January and coming on and doing some bonus content now. 
and getting this helping the community you know in the end that's that's what we were about and uh thank you for contributing to that it's it's my pleasure thanks a lot derek thanks to cse for the amazing work that the organization does very educational and yeah I'm, i'm very happy to be part of this community and uh i'm happy to share my passion and if folks are interested in having discussions about this they can reach out to me anytime and we can bounce off ideas and uh, yeah see how we can help organizations and the market understand what works best for them i think it's a very important topic awesome well i do too thank you raf and uh take care and, and be well everybody i hope uh, our listeners are all Uh, doing well, and uh, we'll see you uh, tune in uh, next time for the next episode. Take care. Bye-bye.